Welcome to Wisdom Unlocked, The Ways of God, a production of Lion's Share, a ministry that aims to co-mission with Jesus in making disciples of all nations. We ignite and provide resources to disciple makers in the church and throughout the vocations. In our world today, there is more information available than at any time in history, but wisdom is in short supply. In this podcast, you'll hear how learning about the character and ways of God is a guide to wisdom. This is Sonia Bierson, and I'm sitting here with Dave Buring, the founder and president of LionShare. And today we're going to be talking about salt and light. This is something Jesus talked about on the famous Sermon on the Mount. And Dave, let's start off again by talking about how our subject matter ties back to the title of our podcast, Wisdom Unlocked, The Ways of God. So over the years in my journey in life, I've I've been tr- attracted to the ways of God. It talks a, a lot about it in scripture, but for our purpose today, let's just kind of redefine that. So the ways of God represent how God goes about doing things, which means how we should go about doing things. For example, the Bible teaches us that uh, if you're going to be great in the kingdom, you got to serve. Or if you want to really receive grace in unlimited measure in your life, you need to walk in humility. And so it's learning how to do things the way that God would have us do them, allowing us to to reap the fruit of that in and through our lives. And we get a slightly different but also consistent message uh, from the Sermon on the Mount because it is Jesus's words, but he's not saying you know, this is what you should do. He's talking about here's who's blessed, right? Here, it's almost like you have to extrapolate from blessed are the meek, Mm -hmm. blessed are the poor in spirit. Mm -hmm. And you kind of have to go backwards and say, well, what does that mean? What does that mean? And in the Sermon on the Mount, he says this, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. I suppose that sounds a little harsh to people, but let's define this. What does it mean to be the salt of the earth? Um, because, you know, we we hear a lot about salt. We use a lot of salt. Sometimes we're accused of using too much salt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but let's talk about what it means to be the salt. So when I have done some homework on this for me over the years, because I've wanted that to be meaningful in me. So salt, salt has three particular meanings to it. The first has to do with preser- preserving. Uh, I was going to say preserving food. Since ancient times, things like um, cured meats, you know, and it preserves. If you catch fish, sometimes you throw salt in with those fish so that it kind of preserves them. Um, salt draws water out of food and dehydrates it. So all things that are alive require water and can't grow in the absence of it, including the bacteria, which can cause food poisoning. Salt is used to preserve beef jerky by keeping it dry. It prevents butter from spoiling by drawing water out of it, leaving just the fat. It's that kind of thing. There's a preservative piece. And what that means for us as followers of Jesus is God has put us in the world to help preserve it to help preserve his presence, to help preserve the scriptures, to help preserve his ways. So there's a piece of it as followers of Jesus, we walk in as salt. Secondly, salt makes food pleasant. 
during the summer months, oftentimes Cheryl and I will put just a little bit of salt on our watermelon, cantaloupe, and honeydew. And I just find that it brings out the flavor. Cheryl will dash some on our chips and salsa when we're eating out as well. It, it makes the food pleasant. And the idea, again, is we're to be salt in the world that the way that we relate to people, the way that we handle our lives causes them to see something pleasant in us that goes beyond us and lets them get a taste of Jesus. And the third one, which is, I think, often left out but is important as well, is salt makes one thirsty. Uh, I remember one night I was speaking at a at an event, like a, at a camp kind of setting, and, uh, you know, you went to the snack bar afterwards and I got some salted nuts and I had those right before I went to bed in the morning, I woke up and I felt like my tongue, you know, was about five times the size and I was thirsty from those salted nuts. Well, the idea of salt is to cause people to thirst for God because of what they see in our lives. So that just a few thoughts on this, on salt. Hmm. The other part of this that we talk about is being light, Talk to us about that. Yeah, Jesus said that we are the light of the world, a city set on a hill. And so when we think about light, we can think about how first it helps us see in darkness. Like think about, you know, being in a dark place and you light just one match or you light one candle. It's amazing how much it lights up darkness. So we are meant to be light. Light is, uh, it, it can be expressed maybe as an example you know, that that someone would see your life as an example, as light to them. Uh, light uh, points in a direction. If you see somebody leading out with that flashlight, you follow them in the darkness so it can lead us into a, a right direction. A- another piece of this is it exposes darkness. And that's another way to look at it. Not only does it bring light into a room, but it exposes what is dark. And our presence in the world does all those things. We're to be shining examples of what Jesus looks like and how we can relate to him. We can be people that can walk them to Jesus so they can encounter him. But it also subtly exposes darkness. I I know, Sonia, in my years of pastoring at times, like if I would be out playing golf with somebody and they maybe didn't know the Lord and, you know, a certain word would fall out of their mouth after uh, a bad shot. They would often look at me and go, oh, I'm really sorry. I'm really, you know, I did, I'm just saying, look, I didn't say anything, but it's just that sense of light and darkness. And they knew I was a pastor. And so they thought, well, he probably doesn't swear. And I just unloaded. And, and what it does is exposes darkness. And, uh, and so we have to realize salt and light is important roles that we play in the world. As you know, my dad's a pastor. And I always think it's funny whenever you're in a gathering, you know, prayer before the meal, everybody looks at the pastor and says, (laughs) would you pray for the meal? Yeah, It's like, oh, okay, I guess that's my job to earn my food. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, when Jesus talked about this, he was talking about just being this way in our normal life, right? (laughs) But, But this phrase, salt and light, is often applied to our work. And I think that is because we spend a lot of time at work. We spend a lot of time. I think uh, in your book, the the new book, The Great Opportunity, Making Disciples of Jesus in Every Vocation, I think you quoted a Barna study that said uh, 90,000 
hours mm. a year. Is that mm. right? Yes. Yeah, I think that's right. It's 90,000 hours that we spend uh, in the workplace, I believe over our lifetimes. Oh, is it a lifetime? Yeah, okay. it's over our lifetimes. That and makes me feel better. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and I'm not as tired right now. So so that's a, lo- that's a lot. That's a lot of hours spent. And when we, when we look at that in our lives... We can either just go view our vocations, our job, our work through the lens of I'm going to do my thing so I can get paid. Or it can begin to take on a whole nother set of perspective, have a whole nother value recognizing here is a group of people that God has dropped me in the middle of to be salt and to be light. And this doesn't mean, you know, I often tease and say, you know, wearing my my I love Jesus t-shirt. It's not what I mean at all. But we'll get into some of that here in a little bit. The time when I was really exposed to the idea of being salt and light in the workplace was when I read Bob Briner's book called Roaring Lambs. And at the time I was working in the news business, and I think there were some folks around me who were thinking, well, why don't you go into vocational work, right? And when I read this book, it affirmed for me that going into a culture-shaping profession is not vocational work. It is vocational work. It, It was part of what I considered to be my calling. And the main message of the book is that it's better to light a candle than to curse the darkness. Mm. That salt is worthless if it's not placed where it is needed. Mm. And the second half of that verse uh, that I read at the very beginning of this says, it is no longer good for anything if, if it's not salty, except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So the idea is it's important where the salt and light is. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the places that we encounter non-believers and they're sometimes their only touch with a believer is in the workplace. Yes. Have you found that to be true? Yes. And I think, you know, the people I've walked with, you've walked with over years, you know, that that's the norm. And I, I, I get discouraged at times, Sonia, because I think either a, we, we go to our, our, work and we're not thinking I'm an ambassador of the kingdom of God. I'm an ambassador of Jesus. We we just leave it completely, you know, at home and we don't bring that part of us to work. Or the other side is we go the opposite way and and you know there's this whole proclaiming thing that we feel like we're not being faithful to God if every day we don't, you know, tell somebody that hey, you need to know this about Jesus and you need to and and I think Instead of focusing on proclaiming, we need to become good at relating. It's like, I I can't tell you how many people, I I think of a story my wife Cheryl shared with me years ago when she was working in a, a newspaper magazine company, and there was a man there who sincerely loved Jesus, but the way that he related to people and some of the arrogance that would come out when he was so opinionated it turned people away because he was pushy about his faith and different things. And it was kind of like, dude, just kind of be quiet and live this thing and watch what would happen there. And I think one of the things that that we need to recognize is certainly there's times to proclaim, there's certain times to step up, there's certain times to say, hey, before we eat here at the restaurant as workmates, can I just pray for our food? There's certainly times to do all that. But one of the things I want to underscore is is if I could pick the starting point, 
It's being a good relator to people. And so the, the thing I would encourage you who are listening to look at is this. At, in your workplace, are there any relationships right now that are out of sorts with you? And if so, what are you going to do about that? Is there any place in your relationships where you've cultivated a lack of trust? Deal with that. Is there pla- are there places where maybe you've overstepped right now in the communicating of your faith where you just need to back off and live it and let Jesus help that person see you as salt and light in their lives? So food for thought, I want to encourage you to take those things and think about them because they're really important. And I think, Dave, in our current world, this is probably a message that's needed more than ever. In this time of political polarization, uh, this this even just the view of Christians mm. right now mm. is so off from the way I perceive my faith and the way I live out mm. my faith. And some of it is is warranted, right? Yes. There, there's there's definitely some some reason for people to think that way. A lot of times, the very loud voices of Christianity dominate the conversation. Mm-hmm. So you know, I don't think proclaiming is going to do a lot of <laughs> a lot of great work for you when you go out and proclaim. When there's already a lot of folks that are out there proclaiming, there is that need for relationship. There is that need to show integrity to show uh, that I can handle these situations differently. Mm -hmm. Uh, The ultimate end is sharing the good news of Jesus, showing how he is our role model. And and that's going to do a lot of good in the world today. Yeah. So let me just, let me turn the tables here a minute, Sonia, and ask you this. So when you, when you served in the media, Sonia has, has, had a successful career in the media over years and uh, at this season of her life is doing some different things. But when you were, you were in that place, what were the key things for you as you were kind of going to work and day in, day out, week by week as a faithful follower of Jesus? How did you look at approaching your work? Well, I'd first start out by saying, I don't know if I was as faithful a follower of Jesus as I I would have liked to be, or even maybe as I look back and see where I was compared to where I am now. And if I come up with a list of of the ways of God, especially the things that we came up with in, in the first season, things that we talked about, like humility and guarding your heart, hearing the voice of God and waiting on God for for decisions that, that have to do with your work, mm-hmm. how to appeal to authority, how to lead with authority— reverencing and referencing God and and all that I did and honoring one another, you know, honesty, integrity. When I look back at those, um, I I definitely think I fell short in a lot of those areas. But of course, the things that you think about is where others fell short toward you, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And uh, one of them is that concept of honoring one another that we talked about last season. Mm -hmm. You know, there's always job transition, right? Some that are that that were not your choice and some that that were your choice. And I can think of three jobs in which I felt very dishonored on my way out. Hmm. And two of them, I would say, were, you know, purely my choice. Um, I I felt like it was time to move on to something else. The third one, I, I felt 
like I wasn't being appreciated there and I also didn't appreciate them anymore. So, you know, it was time to go, but I felt definitely dishonored in the sense that I wasn't affirmed in all that I had done for the company, uh, the personal sacrifices that I had made. And it, it didn't end well. It, it wasn't amicable. Now, this was from the folks in authority, not for the people that I was in the trenches with. And so it was affirming to be with them and for them to celebrate me. And I'm not saying this from a viewpoint of, hey, right. I'm awesome and right. and I'm proud and those people are terrible. You know, they don't appreciate all the great things I did, you right. know, n- not from that standpoint, of, but, but of just wanting to be affirmed mm-hmm. for the things you've done. Uh, and I've tried to kind of take that lesson in terms of how I try to honor those that that I have worked for, you know, especially bosses that I've worked for or, or people who were close to me, you know, even to this day, I, I try to affirm them for the, the, the time that I was with yeah, them. That's great. So I, I think about that. I think the other thing that kind of jumps out for me is the idea of humility. Mm-hmm. That is actually not valued in our workplace, especially in the places where I worked. And, and I think the idea of you need to self-promote, you need to self-promote in order to advance in the workplace. And if you don't, then you will be cast aside by those who are self-promoting. And uh, I, I even knew some folks who hired a publicist in order to promote them. Hmm. And, you know, I'm not saying that you shouldn't do some self-promotion. You know, you you do need to show that that you're doing good work and that you're capable of doing good work. But at the same time, if that is the main thing you are doing, there, there's a problem with that. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, how do I walk that line of of promoting what I've done, but not making it all about me, not yeah. making it all about me? That's hard. Um, And in this world, you know, especially I think for our younger generations, creating that brand, right, creating that personality, getting as many likes and views and subscribers, you know, that you can on your YouTube or on social media or or just to be an influencer, that is a a credible job that's out there. Mm -hmm. And it's all about building your platform and your brand. So you know, trying to exhibit humility and walking that line, I think is more difficult today than it ever has been. Yeah. And I think those are things that are worth the wrestle. We have to wrestle those things through. So for example, uh, when, when I think about honoring, I, I love the passage in Romans twelve ten: outdo one another in showing honor. And so just to kind of take the big picture view, you know, when you think about the kingdom of heaven, like like what is it like in heaven? Remember, Jesus told us to pray, you know, as in heaven, so on earth. And so the reality here is what does it look like? And Sonia and I were chatting earlier about how like in the kingdom of God, when you're dealing with believers, the way it's supposed to look is that you really never hardly have to promote anything of yourself because let's say if there's 40 of you as friends, you know, in a small community of people, you got 39 other people that are championing you and you get to be a part of championing 39 other people. And so, see, it's we always want to start with God's ways, how he does things. What does the kingdom of God look like in reality? And we have to understand that's what it's about. It's, it's 
cheering each other on. It's championing each other. And if we did more of that, there would probably be less need for self-promotion. And so, again, just some food for thought that as you're beginning to say, okay, I want to incorporate more of the ways of God in and through my life. It's another another thing to, to reflect upon. We're going to take a quick break here right now to talk to you about a special offer for podcast listeners. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what this has to do with disciple making. Here's a special offer for podcast listeners. When you purchase the great opportunity, Making Disciples of Jesus in Every Vocation at lionshare.org, enter the discount code PODCASTBUNDLE, all one word. You'll receive an additional book by Dave Buring called The Jesus Blueprint. Learn why and how to disciple someone else who works in your field. Go to lionshare.org today. Remember, buy the great opportunity and enter the discount code PODCASTBUNDLE, all one word, to receive your free book. All right, we're back and we've been talking about being salt and light in the world, in our relationships, but also on the job. And Dave, kind of the way I look at this is salt and light is kind of our outward facing uh, perspective, actions, behavior uh, in life. It's something that you are are kind of trying to show to others out of a genuine place, not not because you're you know following some curriculum of this is the way it's supposed to be, mm-hmm. but what you're trying to do by living that way is to honor and please God because that's number one what we're supposed to be doing anyway. But you want others to say what's different about that person? Why are they handling this differently? Why aren't they grumbling and complaining? Why aren't they self-promoting? And so in a sense, you're you're kind of putting the onus on the other person to notice it, right? Mm. And to maybe say something to you about it. Mm. Disciple making to me is more inward facing in the sense that you're really talking and investing in other believers. Uh, you know, here are some best practices if you work in this field. Does that sound right to you? Yes, and, and I would play on those same out and inwards in the way that I think about it is outreach and investment. And so there's a difference between outreach, as Sonia described it, it's it's uh, wanting to live your life in such a way, be available to people in such a way that you can present uh, a Jesus that so loves them and wants them to be a part of a bigger plan that he has for their life versus an investment of life in other people. And so when we think about disciple-making, that is pouring into other people the character of God, who God is, the ways of God, how he does things, and the mission of God or what it is or what role we play in that. And when we we talk about disciple-making in this way, we always are grounding things in the scriptures, always, always. But when, when it comes to the practical pieces of, of it, we want to disciple people who serve in our, our vocation. You might not work with them on a day-by-day basis, but you know they're in your same field. And how do you help them grow? Uh, so as Sonia said, it's a difference between reaching out word and versus investing in. 
And yeah, and that's what your your new book is about. That's our great opportunity, right? Is to is to invest in other people, but in the context of work. You know, last week, Dave, we touched on mentoring and coaching and making disciples and how there's some intersection and repetition between each of those approaches. But, But what it comes down to is who is your guide? Right. So if you're just talking about, hey, how to, you know, appeal to authority or how to make this big decision, you know, the coach is going to approach it a little differently than a mentor. But a disciple maker, someone who's who's discipling you may give some of those same pieces of advice, but they're going to tie it to scripture. You know, not just here are some best practices, but here is the best practice because of this concept um, from 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 Scripture that I've studied. Uh, talk to me, Dave, about about how this looks in the world of the church, because I know that's where you have a lot of experience. Yeah, I think you know, oftentimes our dear, precious, faithful, sacrificial senior pastors, many of them have not been discipled. And um, we we run into people like this all the time that have just said, Dave, I don't know how to make disciples because I've never been discipled. So whenever it comes to growing things, I know how to preach a sermon on Sunday morning. And I know we have a really good education department for our kids and our young adults and our adults. And, and that is all awesome, all really good. So I'm not downplaying any of that. But I want to come alongside of that and say that there's a there's a Jesus way of doing this that causes reproduction of the things of God in others at a more productive pace and um, yields greater fruit. And I often will talk to pastors about this, Sonia, and say, do you realize that if you were more intentional of, of having a disciple-making culture in your church, you'd probably have less people coming to you, wearing you out, who always want to talk with you about their problems because they would begin to grow as disciples, not only seeing Jesus do a work inside them on those issues that they constantly deal with, but they also can begin to help others do the same. And in in church life, you know, you can get so caught in the the rhythms of Sunday morning or Wednesday nights or small groups or sermon preparation or those kinds of things that you don't pause to say, who has Jesus put in my life that I need to be discipling? And I think as pastors, if we could spend more time choosing those that would be hungry of heart, as we like to say here at Lions here, they're hungry of heart. They want to grow. They want to learn. You, you throw them things, they're going to they're gonna go after it. And if you could find who are those in your life where your words tend to be really big in their ears and they're hungry of heart and you begin to, to invest in them, you will reap an incredible reward for the sake of the kingdom of God and practically in your church as well. And, and again... If you don't know how to do that, contact us at Lion's Year. We've got resources and tools that can help you do that. I think many pastors often feel alone that they have to fight this battle themselves. And you know, it's rare that you're going to come across something. You know, Perhaps the pandemic is, is something that m- most yeah. pastors have not had to deal with. But, but there's very few things that other pastors have not had to walk through. 
you know, you you can contact uh, and really spend some time with pastors who have come before you to help you deal with issues of church splits or big donors to your congregation who are trying to you know, deal with things in such a way that that you don't want to jeopardize your financial situation, but mm-hmm. at the same time, you want to give them honest counsel. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just making up issues here because I'm, I'm not a pastor, but but you have someone to go to. You know, I think of a, a dentist friend of mine who was trying to decide whether or not to open another office, it, you know, to take over someone else's office and open another office under his name. You know, it's it's entrepreneurial, but at the same time, he's a dentist. Mm. It's important then for him to find someone who has done that to weigh, you know, okay, this is all the things that are going to happen. You're going to be doing less dental care. You need to hire some important business managers, office managers who are really going to be people you can lean on, you know, just very practical things like this that are good mentoring ideas, but at the same time, being able to tie that back to scripture Mm -hmm. and saying, hey, before you make this decision, you need to wait on God. You need to hear the voice of God in this. You have to reverence and reference God in all that you do. Mm -hmm. And so I think this can, everything we're talking about can be applied to the workplace. What's important is we need to find people, right? Who Mm -hmm. are willing to do this for us Mm -hmm. and that we can do for other people. Yes, and I think, you know, for pastors to, to add another thought on this, Pastors, if you're listening to this, I just want to encourage you to look at your flock differently and to realize that every gathering you have, whether it's through Zoom or it's small groups or it's a Sunday morning get, whatever it is, that these are people who have unique callings on their life that is just as God-ordained as yours. And they influence our society in different ways. And their voices will be louder than yours within their vocational realm because of their seasoning, their giftings, their experiences, all that kind of thing. But if you and I can pour into them the things of God and we can help them grow and we can help connect them with others in their same field, imagine the the force that can be unleashed for the kingdom of God. When you have people of a common vocation who've grown in the things of God and wrestle through the issues that they face on the job and have come up with biblical solutions for them, not only to execute it where they serve, but then to still pass it on to another generation. This is how we can see society changed. Um, you know, we, we have been through a season where we have walked through Um, protests. And some, of course, unfortunately, have turned into riots. But for those that are healthy protests, one of the things we need to realize is a protest brings awareness where there's people maybe don't see, and it can gain great momentum. That's the wonderful things about it. But it stops short there because it doesn't fully execute the change. The things we're talking about today allow us to begin to execute the change. And I think it's time that the Church of Jesus Christ, in humility and honoring others, rises up to this to wash the feet of those serving in various vocations so they can run. They can run the race that God has called them to where he's called them to serve.
Well, we've talked um, a, we've talked about a lot of good principles today. Dave has asked you a lot of questions for you to think about, chew on, marinate in. And so I want to refer you to our website because we have episode notes for each of these podcasts where you can go back to the scripture, go back to the questions that are being asked, some of the definitions that that we have talked about in this in this episode and, and in others. So I encourage you to go to our website, uh, click on podcasts at lineshare.org and you can find all of those notes. You can also uh, get three free downloads on the new website about some of these things we've been talking about. Does God care about my job? Connecting our work with God's purposes and spiritual warfare in the workplace. So these are all tools that you can use. And uh, and don't forget that special offer for podcast listeners uh, that you heard earlier. When you purchase the great opportunity, you can get another book by Dave. Thanks for joining us, Dave. Thank you. Look forward to next time. Wisdom Unlocked the Ways of God is a production of LionShare, a ministry that ignites and provides resources to disciple makers in the church and throughout the vocations. To learn more about what we do and how we can help you, please visit lionshare.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo.